Well, hello. The Rogue Agency podcast is definitely a departure. And that's why I just wanted to set this first episode up just a bit to give you a little background. This podcast and all the rest of the content we'll provide is intended to simply redefine what your local independent insurance agency is all about. Now, that's a monumental task. It's seemingly insurmountable. But I am convinced that through determination and, most importantly, creativity, we can really make a change here. And we're going to have a hell of a good time on the ride. And so this first podcast is all about creativity, where it comes from, and how to get it out into the world. Emerson Gilmore is my guest and a longtime customer, and I'm so excited to have him join us. His self-published book is about his sister's battle with cancer, but it is so much more than that. So sit back, take a listen to the first episode of the Rogue Agency Podcast. So I'd like to welcome Emerson Gilmore into the Haas Agency podcast. I've known Emerson for quite some time, probably 20 years. Uh, We go back quite some time. He's been a customer of ours and a source of humor and uh, uh, information over all these years, and we're thrilled to have him here. Uh, Once I had discovered that he had written a book, I said what a great opportunity it is to have him come in and talk to us about the book that he wrote called To Alice and Her Cancer. Uh, It's an interesting book in the sense that it's not your typical novel or uh, memoir. It's a book of poetry about his sister's uh, battle with cancer, and uh, he's here to talk to us about it. Welcome. Thank you. Um, The first thing I'd like to do is just if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your past experiences, so we can get to know you uh, a little bit about your perspective about things, you know, who you are, where you came from, and how you came to write the book. Sure. The uh, first time that I felt I wanted to write poetry or become a poet was when I was a junior in high school and I read Fern Hill by Dylan Thomas. I got to the end of that book and the final couple of lines. Time held me green and dying, though I sang in my chains like the sea, had me. They got me by the throat and said, look, this is what you want to do. This is where you want to go. All of life is here. And I said, well, I can try doing that. And uh, a lot of it, because I was in high school, had to do with the fact that I found writing verse easy. Not a lot of people did it. I could carve out a little niche for myself. and take it from there. After a lot of time passed, up until about 20 years ago, I tried to ignore the impulse to write, but it wouldn't go away. And I said, all right, I'm going to take it seriously. And I, the, the first thing I wrote that made me say I'm on the right track was an elegy for my uncle Stanley, 
my father's brother, who was the first man I knew I loved in my life, even before my father, who I was fighting with all the time. Hmm. I got the, uh, that elegy written, and I said, I'm in the right place. So, um, it, it seems odd that um, at that age you would choose poetry. Um, just in the sense that it was so long ago, uh, and your peers must have been doing all kinds of things and being not gravitating towards poetry necessarily. Um, why, why, why did you pursue poetry so passionately? Well, at that age, when I was back in my uh, high school years, like I said, it was easy. I also liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. I just liked reading the stuff. And uh, it really was that not many other people did gravitate toward it. And as I said, it was, uh, it was fairly easy for me. I could get it. I could understand it. And uh, I went through that, that poem by Dylan Thomas. I started reading Robert Frost, uh, T.S. Eliot, all, all the ones that we normally got in uh, high school. And then I got into college and I was writing and I was able to get into a creative writing class there with a very good teacher, uh, Stephen Minot. And I was able to meet quite a few poets while I was in college who came to Trinity in Hartford. The most influential one being John Berryman, whose book 77 Dream Songs had the same effect on me as reading Fern Hill by Dylan Thomas. The language was just crazy. It was nuts. And... I was uh, hooked again and for good with John Berryman, who uh, unfortunately died too young when he committed suicide, but uh, hmm. I carry on a lot of his work in my own, really. The interesting thing I find is when I used to read those poems in high school, when I was, well, let's just say I was forced to do it through English class and so forth, <laughs> um, they were always a challenge for me. The understanding of this, what the story was telling, it was always a challenge for me for some reason. Now I may have been unique in that way, but um, in reading this book, I never knew that storytelling could be so clearly communicated uh, through poetry. I was I was amazed. What kind of misperceptions do you think people have about poetry? I think they have fewer misconceptions than we think they do. One of the uh, things I've learned, and I did not uh, make this up myself, but heard it from somebody else, is that most people people ignore poetry because most poetry ignores people. And I think that's gotten worse over time. I've been through the uh, Robert Frost Festival of Poetry 10 times, been with other writers, 20 other writers for a week, 10 different times. And there aren't five lines of poetry I remember. Hmm. And the ones that you remember are the ones that mean something to you, that take you into account. A lot of poetry doesn't. And I think that it's the absence of the arts in general, and poetry specifically, from our lives and its disappearance from the educational system at large has more to do with people not reading poetry than anything else. It's an art. It can be difficult. Most times it doesn't have to be difficult, but you have to be ready for it. And uh, it's no 
it's no fault in the reader that the reader has trouble with it if the writer hasn't written something mm-hmm. that talks to the reader. Right. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's definitely an art. How, how do you, how do you uh, sustain that craft? What, what kind of process do you go through to, to maintain the, the skill that you have? Okay, what I, uh, I didn't really get skillful, in my opinion, until about 10 years ago. I was at a, uh, again, at the Frost Place, where uh, it was Robert Wright, or Charles Wright, was, a, was lecturing. And he said, uh, write every day. Make yourself write. doesn't matter whether you have anything that you want to write or not. Just sit down and write. And don't be afraid to throw it away when you look at it later. And I said, all right, I've never written that regularly. So I'll try. And I, I wrote verse every day for more than a year. Hmm. And in that time, I found out that only by writing a lot can you learn to write well. Right. There's a certain amount of talent. There may be a certain gift. But if you don't practice it, you won't get as good as you can at it. And you won't find what poets refer to as their voice, their unique way of speaking and writing. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's made up. It's something that you acquire over time. You have to work at it to discover it. Molly Peacock is a wonderful uh, woman, uh, writes, uh, writes a lot. She's good in verse and prose. And she tells her students, for every poem you write, read 14. Mm-hmm. Write a poem a week for a year. At the end of the year, pick the two or three that are worth working on and work <laughs> on them. It's, you have to write a lot. Yeah, that's a discipline. And you have to read a lot. Uh, and do you, do you write uh, other than verse or poetry to continue to maintain that? Also, do you write uh, narrative or uh, or is it strictly you stick to the poetry for the most I, part? I write mostly poetry, but I like writing other stuff too. I did a blog for a while that was uh, it was it was well received. I suspended it when I actually I changed jobs and didn't have as much access to a computer so I stopped doing the blog I've written uh, several articles a lot of letters to the editor I've done uh, web content for people and uh, I used to be when I was in business I wrote a lot of business stuff for dressing boards okay business communications things like that right so why don't you um, let's get into the book Let's tell us a little bit about your sister, Alice, and the relationship that you had with her. Alice was, in fact, the oldest sister in the family. I have four sisters, no brothers. Alice was the oldest. I'm right in the middle. Two younger sisters, two older sisters. Alice, at five years older than me, and older than everybody else in the family, was always the first to do things. She was the first one to go to school. She was the first one to graduate from school, mm-hmm. the first one to go away to school the first one to have a job, the first one to buy a car, all these things, and every other little thing you go through growing up, she was the first who did it. She uh, became sort of a guide to the rest of us just because she was the oldest. When I asked my uh, other sisters suggestions for the book title, they all said something about, how about 
My big sister. Big sister Alice. Uh-huh. That's what she was to us. She was the big sister. She and I were sort of the self-styled rebels in the family. We were the ones who tried to break the mold. Uh-huh. And uh, so we, we had a natural affinity there, although we were anything but rebellious. We were just a, a little bit more outspoken than the others in the family were. So we had that going on. And right up until the time she died, she was the one who would send out the emails that we'd all respond to when we'd get discussions going mm-hmm. through the emails because uh, she had the time. She wasn't, she was able to uh, uh, be job free through the last uh, 10 or 12 years of her life. She okay. was, uh, had a wonderful husband who was retired and they both retired and did what they wanted to. Mm-hmm. So she had time to do the emails and all that stuff. And uh, the one thing that I miss about her most today, and that I think my sisters miss about her most, is that whenever we had something to say, we could always say it to her. Mm-hmm. And then she'd respond to it somehow. And uh, so the uh, communications among the family members has actually dropped off a lot since uh, Alice yeah. died four years ago. Yeah, I'd imagine. That's a good, that's a special relationship. She created that place to go to. It was, and uh, as with the fish that doesn't know there's water until he's taken out of it. Right. <laughs> she, she's gone, and yeah, that's all. Do you think your, your relationship was... Uh, did each of the kids in the family have a, a special, unique relationship with her, or was yours... Did you think you had a special connection with her? Because you, you said you were kind of the self I th- I rebel. think she and I had a special connection, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that my sisters think the same thing. And that's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. So when you began writing the poetry about her journey through uh, her illness, as it was happening, did you ever think that you would try to publish a book about it? Yes, I did. This may sound arrogant, but uh, my best writing comes in sequences about specific topics. I have a long series about uh, somebody who's looking for a job. Oddly enough, I was looking for a job at the time. I have a long sequence about uh, somebody who's pondering suicide. I wasn't pondering suicide in the sense that I was going to, that I was suicidal, but I was thinking, trying to imagine how people who think about suicide mm-hmm. think about it. And so I wrote nothing but poems about that for about two or three months. But when I got to this, it was natural that because I was writing every day, I was in that discipline. I just started asking my questions about what's going on and said, thinking, okay, I'm going to say all the things that are on my mind. Whatever goes through my mind when it comes to my sister and her sickness, her health, whatever came to mind, I was going to put it down. Mm-hmm. Edit nothing out was the rule. And uh, though I knew I was going to be writing about this particular topic for some time, I didn't know how long I could have burned out in a week right. or I could have gone on for three or four months as I did. Mm-hmm. And as it was evolving, it took shape on its own. And the fact that I was writing each day about the previous day experience of speaking with her or visiting with her gave it its own organization and that it was going to be chronological. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to put much effort into organizing the material, just get it down on the paper and then discipline it some so that it uh, was worth reading. 
So, uh, yeah, I had the idea that a book, book would yeah. come out of this. Yeah. The fact that it kind of started to take on its own life and uh, have that sequential organization to it just manifest itself on its own. Did, did you realize at that point that you said, wow, this, is, this could be something special? You really see it through to the end where you would actually publish something? Uh, yes. I thought that, although at the time... With art and with poetry specifically, it's important that you don't know how it's going to end. Mm -hmm. Now, I knew that Alice was going to die, but I didn't know how the book was going to end. Uh -huh. Interesting. And I also didn't know how long I'd be writing because uh, we didn't know exactly when she was going to die. Right. Although, obviously, when you were within a couple of days of her death, it was, it was apparent it was going to be soon. And so I knew it was going to be a book. I didn't know much more about it than that, and that it was going to be uh, in chronological order. Mm -hmm. Did it was it therapy for you? I mean, I would think on the outside looking in, uh, you know, you hear people talk all the time about journaling and so forth, and I've been through that type type of thing myself, and it was therapeutic. But was this no. a therapy for you? <laughs> No, it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I'm sure it had some of that to it. Yeah, but more, it was. Uh, it was writing. If you are writing for therapy, you're not ready to write. Really. Yeah. It's a, an I, entirely different process. I understand. Yeah. If you're going to be an artist, you are not a self therapist. And Good point. One of the uh, lessons I learned about writing, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago is that if you're writing for therapy, write for therapy and don't pretend to be a poet. That's so, good advice. Uh, <laughs> so no, there wasn't, it wasn't intended to be therapeutic. Right. Some of it must have been, but that was just a bonus. Right. I was creating poetry. I was creating yeah. art. Mm. That in and of itself is sufficient reason for it to be right. written. Sure. That's interesting. Throughout the book, there's uh, 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 there's a lot of moments of obviously anger and despair. Even I just remember vividly these moments where just exhaustion, you know, your own exhaustion and and Alice's exhaustion with the whole experience. From your perspective, what are the lessons you learned about that whole experience? The the answer I think will surprise you. The and I'll I'll make it make sense in a moment. I hope. The thing that I learned most profoundly was that somebody who is close to death, even minutes away from death, remains warm. Their temperature remains at 98.6. Hmm. And that got became important to me, first because I, I don't know how naive I must have been to think that, I, I thought people would cool off. Before they died, yeah, they don't. Yeah, they're alive, and then they're not. Now, the important thing is that through this and pondering this, I realized that we all are as warm as life. Every moment that we're alive, mm -hmm. right? There's no retreating from that. Yeah, and we spend our lives, and all all writing, all art, all poetry is about the human condition. We spend our lives in the human condition that says you are born, 
your temperature will be 98.6 degrees and you will die. Yeah. And our lives are spent trying to figure out why and how to stay alive and keep as warm as life. Wow. That's why I go to work. That's why you go to work. Right. The day will come when I'm not here to speak about this book. Right. You're not here to ask me questions. Yeah. We all live knowing that. Yeah. And realizing that from, and I remember the instant. It was two or three days before I before Alice died. I saw her for what may have been the last time. And I kissed her brow. And I said, my God, she's warm. She's as warm as I am. Yeah. And yet she's going to die. Yeah. That's and powerful. It, it struck me. It struck me as... Uh, yeah. That's, that's at, powerful. At, at once obvious and yet so profound. Right. It, uh, it caught me by surprise. That is profound. And apart from that, what I learned most was how to publish the book. Well, I may as well get into that now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how did that happen? I have edited journals for other organizations. Mm -hmm. The uh, Connecticut Poetry Society has a members-only journal, uh, River Run, that I've edited. I've helped edit their national journal. I've helped publish a number of things. But I've never done my own just for me. I stumbled across Create Space, which is an Amazon affiliate. Okay. And looked at it and said, uh, I want to try this. Amazon's a pretty good good outfit. I mean, they're, oh, yeah. they have credentials. Yep. And so I said, maybe this service is good. Because in the past, self-publishing has been a real problem. Very hard. Right. Very complex. And I said, okay, I know enough about publishing, so maybe I can get through this process. And using only their services and not paying for any other services than what you can access okay. on your own, I was able to put the book together, upload it, upload the manuscript. Yeah. I was fortunate because I know how to use the software that I have to create a manuscript that doesn't require reformatting. Okay. I had it formatted properly. Yeah. And I was astonished that uh, within 24 or 48 hours, there was a manuscript available online that I could look at. Wow. And I looked at it, and I said, okay, what you need to do then is edit it. And I went through the editing. I was able to find my own photograph for the cover, for the front and back covers. Mm -hmm. And they made it very easy to do this. Yeah. And uh, Is that a free, the, it's called Create Space? Create Space. And it's a free service? Entirely free. Wow. So and, anybody uh, could really kind and, of do Anybody this. can do it. And if they're not technically knowledgeable, they can figure it out. They can probably figure it out. There are some things that uh, they may neglect. Now, as I said, I went into this with a good deal of experience in publishing. Right. Um, so that creates space. It really, <laughs> it opens up space. It, it, it opens up space for people who, are, who, who believe themselves to be creative, uh, an outlet to, Absolutely. to Any, do anything. Anybody really. can publish anything yeah. through create space. And the value of it is for a lot of people that uh, people want to leave something for uh, people to remember them by, whether they wrote a secret verse, right. whether they have a diary, whether they want to uh, leave something for the grandkids, a story that they heard from their grandmother, whatever. Sure. They can do it on CreateSpace, get it done, and the only thing you pay for is the one 
two or ten or fifteen copies of the book yeah. that you want, and it's inexpensive. Right. You get you get all the way through the process without any cost to you. The first copy that I paid for was a proof copy, which I got, and it cost me less than three dollars. Wow. The entire experience. Yeah. So uh, yeah, anybody can do it, and uh, it all depends upon how much uh, skill and experience you bring to the table, how uh, complex you uh, yeah. want your project to be. I know people can't see this book, but it's it's like your normal paperback book. You know, it's a book of poetry. It's, you know, it's not 300 pages. It's about, you know, a little under 100 pages. And it looks as good as any book you'd find at Barnes & Noble or anything else. So. It's the real thing and yeah. anybody can do it. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so getting back to the story here, uh, and the writing in particular, is I found, uh, what I found about your writing is that you found a way to bring things to life that many of us view in kind of as kind of abstract ideas, like death itself. You actually gave it a personality of sorts. And there's other examples, and it really helps us to make us, to make, it helped me to feel the emotion and the struggles that people and families have about cancer in, in this particular case. Can you tell us more about that? Is that a style of writing or is that, uh, writing, is writing poetry unique in that way at all? That's a challenging question. Let me try to answer that in parts. Uh, thank you for telling me I brought death to life. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's quite an achievement. Uh, we learn as poets to uh, show, don't tell. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think I said anywhere in the book, here is what death is like. But by the time you finished it, you knew. Right. And that's, uh, that's for what sure. I wanted to do was put down on paper all the things that we think about when people are dying, including, uh, you know, there's a sadness. There's, I put in there the, in one of the poems, I, I wonder if losing her at uh, 70, I'll lose her at 12. Right. Does her memory go away that. or yep. do I have the, uh, you know, what goes on? Uh, there was also uh, the point at which I said, for God's sakes, get it over with. Yeah. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired. And that, that was about me. And I, I said so in the book. But that's about me. Mm -hmm. uh, but we all feel that way. Sure. You know, times it just gets hard to go on with the caretaking or the thinking or the, uh, the suspense. Mm -hmm. You know that what the outcome is going to be and you just get tired of waiting for it and tired of dealing with it or you want to have it happen so you can in fact grieve. Right. So that was there and there was also some humor in there. Yeah, there was. Because uh, things, uh, we, we need that release. Sure. Sometimes uh, being able to laugh helps you get through the uh, the sadness and the grieving. Right. The uh, Now, as far as poetry being unique, poetry at its best, to quote uh, somebody, who I can't, I'm not sure, I want to say it was Coleridge, but I could be wrong. Uh, poetry at its best is the, the best words in the best order. Mm -hmm. And uh, poetry is a compact, condensed art. You can't ever get a poet to throw away a line he wrote. He thinks yeah. it's great because he puts so much into it. Right. 
And uh, so what's unique about poetry is that you can, you're called upon to put so much into so few words. You cannot explain yourself. You haven't got time. Right. And so hopefully the poetry is unique in that regard. And hopefully, hopefully I was successful. My first goal was to write poetry. My second goal was to write poetry that people could understand. Yep. Well, you, you definitely accomplished that. Oh, good. Thank uh, you. And the, uh, the thing I found most enlightening, and it was a joy to read the book. Thank you. It yeah. really was. And uh, the thing that I found most enlightening was that I could understand the story from beginning to end. It, there was a continuity from poem to poem, and it just told the whole story. And just like you said, the, I think the art of poetry, which I, it was escaping me, uh, and has escaped me for years, is how you can get the job done in, in a very short verse uh, and tell the same story that somebody can tell in 500 pages. It's, it, was, it was really, it was fascinating, actually. Um, so publishing the book in and of itself was, was a goal, I'm sure. Right. Um, but there was some, there has to be, or had to have been, correct me if I'm wrong, some motivation that you wanted others to learn something. What, what is it that you wanted others to learn from the experience that you had uh, living through your sister's battle with cancer? Not much, really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let me explain that. The uh, once I give you a book, a poems or a poem, mm -hmm. it's no longer mine. What I have is, is faith that you will find what you need to learn mm -hmm. if I've done my job. The book is no longer mine when it's in your hands, and yeah. I had to learn that the hard way a long time ago. Huh. If you set out to teach something to somebody yeah. with, a, with a poem. It won't work. Yeah. You have to create the poem the best way that you can and let the poem and the other person get together. Yeah. And if you've done your job, they'll feel the lightning you felt. Yeah. Other than that, I would say that more practically speaking, I hope that people will look at it, read it, and say, yes, this is how I felt, and I can talk about it. Right. Uh, so to give it away, you have to be willing when you start. Oh yeah, it's it's not yeah that's it's not yours anymore. You have to be willing to give it away. Absolutely, and that's just that's part of the art, and that's part of what writing successfully means. Yeah, to, to me it does, and, yeah. and for poetry. Anne Bradstreet uh, was uh, Governor Bradford's wife. Mm -hmm. She is perhaps the first published American poet, certainly the first published woman poet. And in the introduction to her book of poems, she said she was sending her orphans out into the world. Yeah. <laughs> and they weren't hers anymore. They were, right. She was orphaning them. Yeah. And there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And uh, apart from that, let me add that, uh, yeah, let me emphasize that uh, as a poet, I create art. Mm -hmm. That's the reason for writing. There doesn't have to be any other reason than that. It is based on emotion passion, depth of being, 
an intimate encounter with the human condition and honesty, but the writing is done for its own sake. Right. And if I'm lucky, as I said, others will feel the lightning. Yeah. Well, I certainly did. It was a, it was a great read. I loved it. Um, and others should love it too. So how would they get a hold of the book? Where would they find it? They can find it at Amazon, mm-hmm. amazon.com, to Alice and Her Cancer, or my name, Emerson Gilmore. Either one will bring up a link to the book. And in the back of the book, I have, I have an email address, I think. Uh, yeah, for information on ordering copies, eg.outofyourmind at gmail.com. And I can get you copies and send them out and inscribe, inscribe them if you wish or just buy the book. Yeah, wonderful. So you can get it at Amazon. Yes, you, you can. can. Reach, it, reach Emerson at uh, eg.outofyourmind at gmail.com. You can drop me a line uh, at peter at haasagency.com. Emerson, I want to thank you. This was a great conversation, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, I enjoyed it very much myself. It was fun. And so I hope you enjoyed the first Rogue Agency podcast. Until next time, Peter Haas, I'm out. <laughs>